This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. It's both of our favorite time of the year Chris uh all your hard work comes to fruition tomorrow and I get the day off (laughs) (laughs) is that how it works is that are you officially taking the day off I think so I pretty much I'm kind of irrelevant tomorrow I mean even though I have the laminated car this is your big day well you'll you'll be the one in the press conference talking to to Neil Brown so you can't check out quite yet but um yeah it's going to be a big day it could be a, a I think I'm pretty straightforward when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I'm not, this isn't like a hard sell or anything like that. Uh, there have been obviously years past where it's like, Hey, kind of just looking at one kid, seeing what they got to decide. You know, these other kids are committed and waiting on an answer from one kid. That's realistic. And that's about it. Um, this year might be different. I, I kind of put it in the, the, the buzz this morning of over the next 24 to 48 hours, I would set the line, if you will, at about three and a half, because I think it could be three. It could be four if we're talking high school recruits and transfers that could join the class over the next couple of days. I think it's a legitimate chance of being in that range, anywhere from well, anywhere from two to four. So I think, you know, two would be a little bit disappointing. Three would be about right. Four would be would be, uh, you know, a good couple of days. What do you make of this signing date on the calendar? I like the idea of it. And I don't think it could be much later just because of holidays and, and bowl prep and all that. But the, the talent pool got extremely richer yesterday. It's going to happen again sometime, maybe one or two more times just for like a single date, probably on Monday. When players get out of their semester or they have their exit meetings with their coaches who've been out recruiting. But if you're a school right now and you've maxed out and you have a need for a position that all of a sudden – is in bloom in the portal, you're kind of stuck. Maybe not this year so much because of that plus seven rule, but in most years, that would be tough. Or is this just kind of like collateral damage because of the portal? It doesn't matter when you have it, you're going to have this influx of talent no matter what. Yeah, I, I, it's it's going to be strange these next couple of weeks. I went to do our target list on our on our site, and you know I hadn't thought about checking it recently. Not too much has changed on WVU side of things. You know, you, you automatically add guys when they get offers. They automatically get get put in that board in that list um for those who don't know what i'm talking about it's, it's a it's a list on our site that populates all the guys that have offers that west virginia is actively recruiting and so guys are coming in i'm adding a couple guys and if they commit somewhere else they automatically disappear so i hadn't thought of going and checking to see what it looked like recently because it seems pretty straightforward at this point in time but when guys decommit from a place it automatically reinstates all the previous um, interests for different schools when it happens, right? As soon as they decommit and puts them back on the target list. So I went to go look at the target list the other day and all of a sudden there was like 30, 40 kids that I hadn't even seen or talked about or talked to 
in weeks, months, even a year in a couple instances, because all of these kids had decommitted from the schools that they had been verbally committed to for so long. I mean, that's just, I know we've gone over the numbers. I know we've talked about transfers and West Virginia's not in a good spot there on the way out. Um, decommitments, you know, three, two of them, uh, or one of them was, was West Virginia's choice of really just two. Uh, there's a lot of places having a lot harder time with the decommitment side of things than West Virginia is. And, and so it, it's, it's a ever rotating refilling pool of talent out there. It's got to drive coaches nuts that they lose them, but also just to have all these players come in. I'm sure there's some idea within their trade about players who are coming in, but when you see like just the quarterbacks who popped in yesterday and you're a, Oh, I don't know. Team that can use a quarterback upgrade. <laughs> just the deck is shuffled every day or every week or something. That's got to be insane. But again, that's why they get that second comma in the paycheck. Good for them. Good for us too. We get to discuss it and they can kind of deal with our nonsense too. Um, three day period, correct? Right. It Wednesday, Wednesday morning till Friday at midnight. All fireworks Wednesday. You think there'll be some that like, you know, the 4th of July where there's fireworks on July 1st, July 2nd, July 5th, July 6th. I think it's, it's, it's just like that where, 99% of the things are going to happen on Wednesday. And then there's going to be those one or two guys that want that little bit of extra for themselves, a little bit of extra attention for themselves. That'll happen. Not, not on West Virginia's board. I expect everybody on West Virginia's board to, that is planning to sign during this early signing period. You know, obviously they can still wait till February, but everybody that's planning on signing early, I think it'll happen on Wednesday. It might even happen tonight. Not let's signing, close. but committing. Sorry. Committing. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, let's close a little bit here with uh, what we ended our last conversation or actually we talked about the last time we discussed um football west virginia so on and so forth the big weekend they had coming up which was obviously the junior day on sunday but also they had officials and uh, people that they're trying to get their tethers into productive it seems like um was it as expected is there more yet to come uh so far so good for sure i, I think my exact quote leading into it was two of the guys were committed uh, was it six, seven guys that were visiting? Um, mm-hmm. Five, five, and then yeah, a couple transfers. Uh, so seven total, and two of the guys were already committed, and that was uh, Riley Collins and Ollie Straw. Uh, and my said, I said at the time, I think it could be over the course of time, maybe not all at once, uh, a clean sweep for West Virginia uh, on the other guys visiting, particularly the. Um, uh, this one weekend, this uh, December 10th weekend. And Marquise Hershey McLaurin, I, I need to check with him to see which way he wants to be referred to. Um, he's already on board. Things are looking good for Jeremiah Aaron. Uh, things are looking good for DeCarlo Donaldson. Um, Zyke Lawton, uh, Cincinnati transfer, former South Charleston kid, he's already committed. So there's two extras from the weekend. And then, of course, Josh Newton, who was in a little bit before the weekend, but I'm still counting him for that that weekend as a whole West Virginia's a good spot there too I mean I don't you could end up so that leaves what I say three and a half was the line I'd set and I just mentioned three guys who are still uncommitted that were on visits this weekend that West Virginia is in a very good spot for always recruit the brother Chris I'm sure Mari Lawton is paying attention to what's going on right now right yeah he was up on campus too he uh he was he while while he is a junior he was not there for junior day. He was just up there as a guest. Uh, any official visitor that comes to campus is allowed to bring two guests. Um, and so Mari took 
part in that part of the trip instead of sticking around for the traditional junior day. So um, still, I, I think that's a, a pretty good thing for him to see and experience and, and probably had a big impact. Uh, finally, basketball. <laughs> that was not especially redeeming on Sunday. That's a tough spot after UConn before a week off. And I don't care. I don't care what they tell you. Like that week off is something that they're kind of looking forward to and kind of dreading all at once. That game before is always a mess. Bad news is so is the one after. I, I think they're going to have their hands full on Saturday against UAB. And um, I don't know if they're they're capable of just snapping out of it. This, this may just kind of be a thing right now. Like I'm not sure they're going to be sleepwalking through games, but they just have so many youth and inexperienced problems. They'll get better eventually, but there, there are going to be some roadblocks here. They just haven't played on the road yet. That's a, a curiosity for me, but um, I don't know if it was terribly surprising. It wasn't encouraging, but I don't think you'd be too surprised that, you know, the point guard play wasn't good, that they kind of were stagging at the start, that they kind of had an issue with a point guard on the other team. Um, I don't know what to take out of that game apartment. It just happened and they won. Uh, was I, I put this in my three immediate thoughts, but I, my my internet went out, my TV went out as the game was starting. This is great, by the way. <laughs> and I could not figure out. I'm I'm scrambling. I'm I got the recruiting stuff going on. I'm talking to visitors, trying to figure this out. Thankfully, my wife has a work phone. I could just use her hotspot without racking up a million dollar cell phone bill. But I couldn't figure out what was happening because my stat the stat broadcast. I thought it was frozen from where my internet went out because it was six to two for like five minutes or like a five minutes of game time. Like, so like 10, 15 minutes of like real time. I was like, what the heck is going on in this game? So I missed that first half of that game. And you know what? Thank goodness I did. That would have been painful to watch. It was, it was a rough game, but it's a win. I think there's obviously flaws with this team. Um, UAB tough, tough game. I, I, I guess I didn't think too much of it. Um, not too much. I not that I was writing UAB off, but uh, have you looked at some of the predictions right now? Not even close. Like, it's like 65, 70% to UAB, right? Right. Yeah. Like uh, uh, ESPN's basketball power index. Yeah. 65, 35 right now in favor of UAB. Uh, they are six and zero at home. Um, yeah. I, I did not pencil this in as the toughest game on West Virginia's non-conference schedule, but you can make an argument. You really could, I think. They haven't played on the road. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. And this isn't going to be like a regular road game. They're not playing on campus. They're playing about 10 minutes off the campus. I get that. But um, UAB runs. They play fast. They shoot a lot. Um, that's kind of like Andy Kennedy's thing. But I think what people are not going to get about this team is that they play defense. They're going to switch it up with different zones and, and pressures, packages. They steal the ball more than anybody in the country. They force more turnovers than all but one team, and they are pests on defense. And if you have issues in your backcourt with getting the ball into offense, or if your offense comes from two guards and the other team's guards are really good and they're going to extend and try to keep the ball out of your hands, that could be like really, really sticky for the offense for West Virginia. They're going to – that third score, I don't, I don't know if they have a third score. The second score is going to absolutely have to play well because I'm sure that the first one's going to be the target of the defense. And, again – after a week of really not practicing, people don't really understand. Like, they're not going to have a full team practice until, like, I don't know, Thursday, maybe Friday, just because of the exam schedule. If it's like it always is where guys are in and out during the time, like, he's got an exam at 8 a.m. And, and 2 p.m. Well, he can't practice at the 1 o'clock practice time. So you have all that stuff going on throughout the week. And all of a sudden, by the way, we're going to roll the ball out. And you're going to play a road game against a team that shoots a lot and plays crazy defenses, too. Uh, I would not expect an aesthetically pleasing game Saturday. 
Yeah, I mean, it, Huggins already said the schedule, even without, uh, you know, exams was already going to be pretty light that they were just like, with his quote was they were just going to shoot, do nothing but shoot free throws on Monday. Like that was all they were going to do. Uh, and then take, I think they were taking Wednesday off, maybe a light practice Tuesday, taking Wednesday off entirely. Um, so, and then Thursday, and then I guess, I assume they're traveling Friday, right? Like they, you're not going to travel day of game. So, um, you know, it's not a lot of time to get prepared for that. Uh, I'm sure they'll find ways around it uh, to, to figure it out, but that's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a really tough game. And if they can win that one, things do get a little easier, a little more rest before, you know, you get back to uh, Big 12 play. I was looking at uh, Evamia.com's predictive scores, which have been kind of accurate this year. It's kind of scary. I haven't really talked about it yet, but it's been pretty pretty spot on with things because I think West Virginia kind of just follows the trends um, on paper. They are going to be about a three-point favorite UAB, and yet 64% favor- expected to win. That's crazy. Yeah. You figure a team that's that heavily expected to win is going to be 7, 8, 12 points, but just three, 3.3 points and yet 64, 65%. There's quite a variance there at play, so I would not I would not consider this to be an, an absolute lost cause for West Virginia. Let's get to the Q&A here, Chris. We're going to try to empty all of them in here because there's just so much darn stuff coming on the website, free and VIP, that we decided we were going to speak all the questions out into the air rather than do a written part. I kind of like the idea. We will not spend as much time on some of these questions. We'll try to ask as many as we can. So, as always, questions from subscribers. Chris and I answer them. The trick here... You're not going to do a written form because we're going to try to empty the bag here. Are you ready? All right. Let's let's rapid fire. Let's do it. All right. Let's go. Um, I guess we'll start right at the top. Um, J. Mole, 1989. You were hired as the new AD, and you tell Neil he needs to fire his whole staff. Who would you want him to hire to fill out the whole staff? Let's make it neat. coaches Neil has connection to, has connections at WVU, or could re- be realistically hired at WVU. Mike, do you want to answer the first question on the list? Nope. Okay. Uh, here's why. Um, I don't. I don't. It's so hard to forecast ten and what's realistic or not. Then you're just kind of like, is it a dream? A dream team you're putting together? That's hard. It's a fun question. This one might actually be one to write sometime. If they, I don't know, ever decide to like clean house or whatever. But uh, we might also see a couple of coaching changes before not too long. You know, that's just the nature of recruiting. Like you're gonna have your signing day, and all of a sudden, guys are be like, "Whoa, I just magically interviewed for a job and accepted it in 12 hours." Um, that's just the nature of this. And coaches become available and don't. There are certain people that you could look at on a staff and say, um, "Hey, this would make sense." Like I think you could look at, for example, Troy's new head coach. If he had to fire everybody and bring in a defensive coordinator, then John Sumrall could be one. Um, Troy's former head coach. Chip Lindsey, that might be a guy that Neil would like to have for for some reason. There's different ones. You know, Levi Brown is a former player of his who's a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator at what is the high school in uh, Valdosta at Valdosta mm-hmm. State. Um, yep. So there's a bunch you could do, but I'll be honest with you. There are some names I just want to keep quiet because they might actually be people I'm reaching out to or trying to get in touch with sometime soon. Who knows? I don't know if that's going to happen, but there there might be some reality to this question. You just don't know. And um I don't like to give it all away for free. Yeah, I think that that it, it's going to be a very awkward thing, and it, it is every year. I think most recruits are aware it's at least a possibility. It's just the reality of the situation of almost or not almost every year, literally every single year, there are coaching teams. Maybe not in West Virginia, but throughout the country, you know, signing day is December fifteenth. 
December 16th, sometimes on December 15th in the evening, you'll start seeing, you know, Bruce Feldman, Pete Tamil start up. Oh, hey, guess who just got hired? Just, you know, like you said, what interviewed, searched the job, figured it all out in 12 hours. No, no, they didn't. Of course not. Um, so it, it's going to be, you know, the next 72 hours. Will that involve West Virginia? Don't know. It has in the past. Um, both ways, by the way, you know, uh, hiring and guys leaving. So uh, we'll see. And we'll have answers in the next couple hours and like or next couple of days. And like Mike said, it's not one you want to put out there um, before it actually happens and, and give other people a heads up on it. That's me ducking the question. That's good. It's good. Right duck. off the bat, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, now it's my turn to duck. Crowtown ear. What will be the biggest surprises on National Signing Day? Um, me at the press conference. <laughs> uh, and then here's one to get ready for, too. I'm 99% sure that Brown is going to say, please leave questions about the roster, opting out, transfers uh, out of the conversation today. We're here to talk about recruiting because that is going to be a narrowly focused conversation that's made for the TV and web streaming. They're not going to want ulterior news or bad news in there. Don't panic. He has a news conference two days later. So if we're not we're not ducking, we're not not asking the hard questions like there's going to be a time and a place for it. They're not going to want it to be the time and the place Wednesday. That's whatever. That's their rules, their house, I guess we can follow them or not. But don't panic. You're going to have a conversation two days later that you're going to want to have, I'm sure. Um, But beyond that, Chris, this is probably much better in your hands than mine. Well, my my answer to this always is if there were surprises, you know, if I talked about them, they're not surprises. So they wouldn't they wouldn't be on there. The biggest surprise, I think. But if you put me on the spot, I think the big surprise could be West Virginia adding a couple like legitimate day one ready defensive back transfers. I mean, obviously, the guys we're talking about here, we've already added Marquise McLaurin, who I think could be, you know, he's a junior college transfer. I think he could be a guy that that contributes right away. But then you look at a couple of the transfers that they're in the mix for. Uh, Josh Newton from Louisiana Monroe, he was up for an official visit. Um, he, he's a multi-year starter down there. He could come right in and compete for that starting job. He could be a guy that plays like that spear, almost think about him like a Jackie Matthews type. And then there's Joseph Charleston, the Clemson transfer. Extremely quiet. Uh, he is not talking. He has not talked about any of his visits. I do know for a fact that he officially visited West Virginia. I do not know for a fact if he visited anywhere else. He might not have taken any other visits for all I know. And I think this is where it comes into a surprise because I honestly, sincerely, have no idea what he is going to do. Um, A lot of these guys, I I have an inkling. I have tidbits. I, I might even know the answer, but not try to ruin the kid's moment. With Charleston, I have no clue. None. I, I know West Virginia wants him. I know he liked West Virginia. I know he officially visited West Virginia. I know he could probably walk right in and start at West Virginia, given his experience. But that that's the surprise. That's the guy to watch that I think, you know, as far as, hey, what in the world is going to happen with him on Wednesday, if anything? Exciting. I guess I, should I elaborate on that? I, I didn't even mean to leave it on that because when it comes to transfers, they don't need to sign anything. No, they could just enroll. So he may not even sign. He may just show up in Morgantown on, you know, January 8th or whatever. So um, he's the guy that I think it could be the big surprise one way or another for West Virginia. 
this is what I need. I need some surprises. I like this. <laughs> I, I like yeah. this guy already. That, that like he's going to be a little bit mysterious, and also just just get to the finish line. And I mean, who cares about all the pomp and circumstance? Transfers typically don't like to do this twice, right? They like to just kind of get in and get out. They're not really for the whole. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like the the big announcement or whatever is sometimes a big deal, but man, all the visits and interviews and things like that. No offense, but they did that once. They really don't like to do that a second time. So there is some secret with transfers, I guess. So that's what I tell myself when when they ignore me, when they put me on block and say they don't want to ever talk to me and lose their number. I just tell them, you know, they've done this before. That's why they don't want to talk to me. Well, they know you <laughs> for better, for sure. Yeah. Um, does W just from Chestnuts? Does WVU sign both Lawton and Dean from South Charleston in the 2023 class? Uh, Lawton being Zyke's younger brother, uh, Mari Lawton, and Dean being Mondrell Dean, a uh, big edge linebacker, defensive end type um, like him. from South Charleston. I know, I know you saw him. We both saw him at camp in the summer. Um, my answer to that right now is it depends on how both of them develop. Uh, I think the younger Lawton brother. Didn't quite have as big of a season this past year as as many expected, but he's got all the physical attributes, so I think it's still there. I don't consider – I don't often look at stats in high school when you're trying to project college players. You just don't. Um, it, it helps a little bit maybe, but you can't rely on that kind of stuff. As for Dean, I think they need to figure out what position he is. He wants to play linebacker. He showed up at camp and went straight to linebacker, wanted to stay there. Uh, told me, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm an edge, I'm a linebacker type. That's where they want me. And I think it was about 20 minutes into the camp, and they moved him to defensive end to try him out there. Uh, he's a big boy, so I think his future might be there, but he's kind of a tweener, and you got to figure out which position it's going to be, and if he is, you know, FBS Power Five level at one of them. Such a hard thing, because man, I, the, it's never mind projecting kids from West Virginia. But like the positions too, and man, those are both really good examples. Like that Lawton kid looked like he was gonna be a player there, and maybe still be. Who knows? But like, was it not there? Do you have some some family bias? Like, all right, one was good and made it to the 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 big level, and certainly the younger brother's gonna be there too. And if it doesn't happen as quickly or as dramatically, do you hold that against him? I don't know. That's hard. You gotta project. You gotta stick with it. And then you're right. Like, just a simple thing about hand on the ground or standing up that can make a lot of difference for evaluation or a player or where he wants to go to. If he wants to be a linebacker and they say, no, you're going to be a D tackle. Uh, that may not work for him very well. Conversely, if he wants to be a pass rusher and they say, no, you're going to be a Mike linebacker, that could really hurt your chances with him too. So you got to be smart on those kids too. I think it's a good thing that it's not a good thing that some of these West Virginia kids don't pan out, but like that they have a relationship with them where they can come back on a transfer and say, Hey, we're still here. We want to try it out and see if it'll work for like, so like for the older Lawton, that certainly that shows they have like some sort of a refined relationship with these kids in the state. I think people were worried about the relationship between West Virginia and the high schools upon the coaching transition. They've done a lot of damage control there or a lot of reaching out across the aisle to make it work out. So sometimes it doesn't matter how it just matters that it happens at all. So getting one lot is good. And then again, it's going to require evaluations to make sure that the other lot is good. Timber Pimp asks, is it more difficult shooting free throws in the Coliseum compared to the practice facility? I've had people tell me yes, just because of the depth. Yeah. It's different than you're shooting into like a flat wall background. And also the fact that there's people in there and you're playing a game, it's just harder. Now, if you mean in a sterile environment, um, yeah, I think that's probably an interesting conversation. But players are never, ever going to cop to that. So if you ask someone just on the on the whole, hey, is it, where is it easier to make free throws? Well, certainly it's going to be easier to make it in the practice facility. You're in like your own like 
you're in sweats or just like shorts and a tee. There's no one yelling at you. There's no game on the line. You're just practicing for the game the next day or the game a couple of days from now. Or it's June. A little different when you're playing a game. You're really tired. Um, you've been fouled right before it. You've you've made seven or eight mistakes during the game, or you've hit six or seven threes in the game, and you're feeling it. Just the variables of a game make it different. If you mean like physically because of the view, uh, again, just because of the depth and because there's just one rim, you're you're shooting into a background that's much more broad than again shooting against a flat wall behind you. Um, I don't know how much players are going to ever admit that's a problem because it's still what 15 feet. It's still 10 feet above the ground. It should be an easy thing. You should be able to do on the blacktop. You should be able to do them at an opposing gym. You should be able to do them at a high school gym. Um, I have no explanation for this except that it happens quite a bunch. But also, they have really good free throw shooting some years, too. I'm I, I'm going to slightly defend them because I I can say it 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 is easier to shoot when you mentioned it right off the bat. When there's a flat wall just a few feet behind the basket, then there is a, a cavernous you know, arena with seats escalating back and going up. Um, I, I, I do think that makes a difference. And obviously, like you said, fans, people behind the basket, pressure, it's different than in practice. You know, in practice, coaches oftentimes try to uh, replicate that pressure by usually, or at least my coaches used to do, telling, you know, picking one player out of the team and having them shoot a one and one and if they missed the front end, you had to run a 16. If you missed the second, if you made the first miss the second, you had to run an eight, which is a sprint side to side, uh, you know, go across the court, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And if you missed, the whole team had to run. So that put the pressure on you that you had to make it. And then you ran, and then you had to do it again while you were tired, and so on and so forth. You try to replicate that, but it's still not the same as shooting in front of everybody in the in the Coliseum and on TV. So No, exactly. Um Next question, SG Taylor, 24. More for Chris, but what's the deal with Raleigh Collins' first-team Army All-American invite? Seems like there's either more to that invite or we're getting a hell of a deal. Um, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. No offense, but... Are you, are you tapping your card? You, you got it on your lapel? I, I just want to say I had the answer about but he wanted to hear from you, so I'll let, I'll let you go. Go ahead. No, no, no. Well, I asked Collins about it. He told me it was, uh, you know, a new thing. I I found out a little bit about, like, it's a new thing that Takis Chips, I'm not familiar, that familiar with them, uh, partnered up with um, a couple different sponsors to do an All-American signing day down in Frisco, Texas. It is not affiliated with the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, but uh, Collins sent me the schedule, the itinerary for this. And he gets down there today, the 14th, uh, they spend time with NFL players, watch some practices, uh, get a pres- uh, a jersey, an All-American jersey. And then tomorrow, Wednesday, December 15th, there is a three-hour live stream that is partnered up with a couple different media outlets to show these guys, 25 of them, signing their letters of intent. So uh, he will be signing at some point during that i was selected these are going to be you know very good players nico marchio is part of it um collins is part of it so it, it's not the u.s army all-american bowl but it is it is a, a high honor and they will be signing between seven and ten on signing day couldn't have said it any better myself okay i was, I was hoping you weren't going to come in well actually <laughs> <laughs> He's had quite a year, too, from a guy who he wasn't like a tweener, but what position he was going to play, exactly what he was going to become. It was 
I mean, that's the whole point. It was to be determined, but he's he's really filled in the blanks this past, what, six months? Yeah, and and it's funny, you know, talking to some of our guys, the, the national analysts and stuff that, that evaluate him, they saw him as a cornerback, and they weren't sure how he would, how that would translate. A lot of question marks, and then as soon, it was almost like the the outside linebacker spot. Maybe they thought about it, but as soon as I told them, yeah, we need to change his position on the profile because West Virginia actually likes him as an outside linebacker. Almost instantly, it was like they all perked up, like ooh, ooh, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And kind of looked at him in a new light. And then you get to see him this year where the school as well, you know, the school had never even tried him at that spot. And yeah, they still played him in a lot of DB, uh, DB work, but they also tried him out in some of this linebacker stuff to, to let him get a game feel for it. So the, the scouts and everybody got to get a look at him in that light as well. Oh, Mike, guess what? Mm-hmm. As I'm doing this, we got some breaking news on a big commitment. Do we have to pause? I don't, I don't even know if we have to pause. Let me, I think I already have it. I thought I had it written. I'll double check. But edge rusher Asani Redwood from Georgia. Big time player, Collins Hill. Just absolute stud <laughs> down there. Has committed to West Virginia. So we may have to pause, may have to come back. Oh, no, I do have it. Ha. Ha. I thought he was going to commit back when he came and visited, right? Right. Nope. Yeah, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to have to pause. Oh. Sorry, Mike. Got to get it all together. <laughs> we'll be back after this <laughs> quick commercial break. <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. We are back. News is broken. Chris has fixed it. What do you say we carry on with the rest of our questions? Let's do it. Um, we'll jump, Yeah, we'll just keep going right here. Cole1867. The transfer portal is full of quarterbacks. If Daigie is still the starter this fall, do you see it as a monumental failure by the staff? Harsh words. That's harsh. Starter? I mean, what if you brought in, like, Bo Nix and Daigie was just better or Nix got hurt or just whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's hard. It's so subjective. I would say if they don't do some work and try to get somebody on campus – that will be a monumental failure. Like if you just completely ignore the potential to add somebody, that would be a problem to me. Unless that they're just all in on one of the four quarterbacks and don't want to have any conversation on the contrary, which I would really advise against that. I think just because again, this is where it gets weird. Can you commit five scholarships to quarterbacks back in the day? You could not really anymore and you hardly ever see like more than three so four would be tough i think and you might have four but i would not say it's a monumental failure if daggy's a quarterback no would it be a monumental crowd pleaser absolutely not but it might just be what happens too we've already been over that a bunch i would say if they don't roll up their sleeves and, and take an honest look at the portal and the options and then either pursue or at least consider how they could be better or different. If they don't do that, that's a monumental failure to me. 
Yeah, they got to do their due diligence. But again, you keep looking at some of these guys and it's like, oh, man, Adrian Martinez. And it's like, yeah, he was, you know, you talk to some Nebraska people about that and they're like, eh, eh. go to Auburn and ask about Bo Nix. And it's, yeah, eh, yeah. So yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of the responses that you probably hear about Daigie if you came to Morgantown, if, if an outside school came and asked about Daigie uh, as quarterback at West Virginia. So we keep stressing, can't stress this enough. It, it, anybody that you add, you have, it has to be better than Daigie. Has to. Like, no doubt, no questions about it. And maybe maybe I'm drinking too much Daigie uh, Kool-Aid right now, but it, I, I don't know for sure that many or any of these guys are. And again, it, you got to beat other teams out to get them too. Um, as for your comment about the five quarterbacks, yeah, that's that's almost impossible. I still remember the very first time that we spoke with the coaching staff. I, uh, You might not know this, Mike, but every once in a while I, I – get off my rear end and, and come to talk to coaches, come to Morgantown and do actual work. Um, came in, met the coaches the very first time that they were made available when all the assistant coaches, you remember this is like February after Neil Brown got uh, announced and they all came out into the team room at various times to meet members of the media. And I asked Sean Reagan about his philosophy about quarterbacks. And he told me if he had his choice, he would love to have five quarterbacks in a room. That was his goal. But in the same breath, said exactly what you just said. He didn't know if it was possible anymore. He would love to have five, but didn't know if it was possible anymore. And I think that's a realistic view of what what the world is like now, what college football is like now. So having five in the room is unlikely. It's going to be such a drama. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's not going to end until sometime after the bowl game, too, unless there's some proclamation before or after, which – who knows? There could be a proclamation, and then that'll be followed by. But that doesn't necessarily mean this is the end. Uh, Crawdaddy two six five five four. How many games into the season before we say, "Oh, this is just the Cottrell we're getting for twenty twenty one twenty two"? Are we there already? I would be more concerned that that's a bit longer than twenty one twenty two because, I mean, his skill set is his skill set at some point. And I'm not saying that he's just going to be a guy who doesn't take and make threes, but like, what if he's a guy who doesn't develop into a physical underneath the basket player? It's hard to acquire that skill in college. You know, like if you're 6'10", 245, and you're a guy who floats around the perimeter, you've gotten there because that's what you've done. And you have not conditioned yourself or become accustomed or comfortable with the fact that with the reality under the basket where you got to throw and eat some elbows and you got to bounce your body around and, and grab rebounds and block shots. That's a really hard thing to acquire in college. Um, you have it, and you may get a little bit better at it. You don't have it, and you may have flashes of it. But to be like a consistent player that does what he has so far not shown, that would be something to keep an eye on. The huge caveat here is that he's he's just not he's not. I don't I don't know what the word is here, Chris, but he is not all the way back from that Achilles. No, they, I mean, uh, like every single piece of medical history we've seen with with Achilles is is it one? It can be um, like I don't want to be a, a damper on this this conversation here. It can be career altering. It, it's not a light injury. It's not heck. It's it's worse than an ACL as far as recoveries, as far as long term impact. And but just focusing on the now and not worrying about the future, he came back way before. Any doctor ever said he probably would have at the time. If you just told a doctor, you know, an orthopedic surgeon, hey, Torres Achilles wants to play high-level basketball, 
there is zero chance that doctor saying, oh, yeah, he's playing in 10 months. None. And so the fact that he's out there, one, not all the way back, and two, maybe not all the way back mentally. I mean, if if you think about that injury and the way you play basketball and the jumping and the aggressiveness, it might just not be able to be something he can do right now, something he feels comfortable with, and it might take time. So I'm with you. I think this might be the control that we see for 2021-22. The bigger concern and question is, is it going to carry over beyond that, or will he become more comfortable with his recovery from this injury before then? Yeah, just imagine a foot race, and if you take, like, a lap off, you're a lap behind everybody. You just are. And then, like, that's in your development as a basketball player. And wherever he was going last year, I don't don't believe all the hype that he was playing well last year and he was showing signs. He played a couple of minutes in one game, really. But he got he did some nice things, and he was he was at least positioned to use that as a springboard to something. But you might say the same thing about James Oconquo or Sani Njai right now, too, and you don't see him again. So who knows? But he never had that opportunity. And, like, whatever confidence he could have built from the end of December to the first game this year was really lost. And that is something that can propel you to become a player who says, you know what, I am going to go bang around on the basket. I am going to try to block shots and rebound. I am going to try to become that player I have not yet been. And he just lost that opportunity, too. So can he get it back? Sure. But it's going to be a battle. It's going to take time. I think it was it was always premature to say he'd be 100 percent. And physically, it may be fine. But that development, that confidence, that that conditioning to do something different, that's going to take time. It's that, That's only a fair exception to grant him. Uh navigator asks how many high school guys do we sign how many juco's do some some of the transfer sign as well or do they just report for classes i've also heard you know 32 will be 30 um quick rundown on the numbers currently as things stand after the redwood commitment that happened moments ago mm-hmm. uh 18 high school commits two transfer commits uh not not just 18 high school but eight high school junior college and then two transfers uh i am fully expecting that number to be like 20 and 3 by by the next 40 hours, 48 hours or so. So about 20 high school slash junior colleges, three transfers. Um, do they have to sign the transfers? No, no, actually none of them have to sign. Nobody does. Um, it, it just kind of secures your spot, but I would expect all 20 ish, 25 ish to sign. I think the number through now will be about 23, somewhere in there, 23, 24. And then in February, maybe you see it get up to 26, 27, and then you save a handful of spots for transfers. Yes, there were one or two uh, scholarships last time around that are counting towards this cycle. So maybe the number is the original counter number for this cycle is 30. Don't worry about it. it. It's always a Rob Peter to pay Paul kind of situation where you might be able to go over 30 because then you just take one or two from the next class. And then you don't have to worry about the next class because you take it from the class after that and so on and so forth. So. I wouldn't be so concerned about that final number, but I do believe it would be around 30. Interesting. And then probably between December signing day and February signing day, the additions will be, I would assume, mostly transfers, right? Maybe yeah, the French high schooler, but... Yeah, I was going to say, there'll probably be two two high schoolers, but then mostly transfers after that. There's a couple kids that, that they're really after on the high school front that are waiting. <laughs> One of them was supposed to be Redwood, um, but apparently not anymore. So, again, again, that's why I got caught a little off guard there while we were talking because he told me not 10 days ago, quote, I'm waiting until February. Um, now, he told me that, you know, I actually am texting him as we're talking now because I'm going to have a follow-up story here in a few minutes with, with his decision and why. 
And he told me he just felt that the staff and the players made him feel like a family, and he just didn't want to wait anymore. So he called the coaches' staff last night um, and, and made it official, called Coach Leslie, FaceTime with Coach Brown, and, and made it official. So that you're, was... You're reporting on breaking news. You're interviewing a prospect. I have to spill coffee on myself because I can't <laughs> talk in podcasts at once. I feel very adequate right now. There you go. Well, Wicked Jester asked, one surprise, good or bad for signing day? That was good right there. I think that that was a big surprise. I had him. I've already started writing my predictions that are going to post later this afternoon. And I had Redwood at, you know, I give my percentages. I had him at 20% commit to West Virginia, uh, 10% commit to somewhere else, and 70% wait till February. So that's already one big surprise. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, Joseph Charleston, that's a big question mark for me. That's the big who knows, um, and I guess we'll find out more later. The big thing with Redwood, I would think, just I haven't read, read what you've written yet. Again, can't multitask, but if he's a guy who's going to say, eh, I'm going to let the the waves roll over everybody else first and I'm going to do my thing afterwards, he's doing that with an eye on a big place, especially right. a kid from the South. We're talking SEC, ACC, something like that, big-name schools on there that just makes sense to the neighborhood. But the fact that he didn't wait and he instead said, yeah, I'm going to take up West Virginia on the offer, that's a really good sign. Yidio10 asks, now that we've seen the transfers for 10 games, how would you grade Huggins' work for the for the work he did on the transfer market this past summer? I will Mike say Ward? this. there There's almost no surprise here. It just from I've talked about this in the preseason. we talked about this on podcasts. I think that they had these guys pretty well paid for who and what they've been. Um the exception would be that Polycap's been a better offensive player than they probably anticipated. And now you're getting to things about, well, he can actually shoot a little bit too. Let's, let's slow down there. Let's make the two-footers first. But he, he really is a guy who can, who can at least post up and get you a good enough look at the basket. Not going to make him all the time. Not going to hit the rim all the time. But he can do that stuff. And the other parts will come too. But I think that they figured Kerrigan was going to be a guy who could rebound a little bit, play some disruptive defense, give him some options on defense and block shots. He's done that to the point where if they do go ahead with the one, three, one, he's going to play it. And, and Curry, I think that they, they realized it was going to be a transition for him. He was not going to be a one in the sense that they needed. He was going to be like a combo guard who could play some point um, that he wasn't a great shooter or scorer. He could be a defender if he learned how to do it. Um, and, and he's not been a guy who's been able to take over that spot and kind of rest it away from Kedri and Johnson. But, I don't think that that's, I don't think any of these are a surprise except that that Polycap's probably a little bit better offensively than they expected. So for that alone, I, I don't want to say that they've been a plus players, but I think their evaluations because they have by and large been what they anticipated. It's it's like an A because they thought they had something and it's been that. I won't give it an A because it hasn't been overly productive. But you look at it overall, Chris, they're nine to one. They gave away the game they lost, and they're not relying on those guys so much. Like those guys aren't. We need them to play well to win games. It's nice if they do, but you know, if they're B or C's, you almost want to give it like a trend up a little bit because it's not hurting them. They're helping enough to get at least nine wins out of ten games and some sort of firm footing going into to conference play. That's that's an odd explanation because again, they haven't been terrific players, but I think that they've been pretty much what they've expected to be when you see a team that's getting votes nine and one, beat a ranked team, plays good defense and is going to eventually get at least competent on offense. I, I have a hard time not giving him better than a passing grade on this. I would say, you know, B's to B pluses for this for sure. Yeah, I think, uh, again, taking into account how, how the staff viewed their role. I mean, I think I got a little higher on how their impact could be for this team. 
um, you know, I thought they'd play a bigger role. I did. I really, I really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're in the rotation. Um, they're kind of sort of starting playing big minutes. I mean, I mean, well, I guess Curry, they're not starting, but they're playing starters minutes, but I'm with you. I think as far as what they expected, what they were targeting, what they needed, this is a solid B. Um, I think over time, you know, if this team wants to be as good as they were last year or better, it need, these guys need to be better and it's going to hinge on them. I mean, I, I, we talk about Sean McNeil being better. Needing to be better, Jalen Bridges needing to step up, uh, Cottrell, you know, needing to find his footing, uh, figuratively and literally speaking. But Curry, you know, need a point guard. Keedy is what he is, I think, which is is a good in some areas, flawed in others. Curry might need to carry a bigger load. Polycap and Kerrigan need to be a little more consistent. Uh, you know, I've been I've been high on Polycap ever since of what I heard in the preseason, and he's had his moments, but then he's had other times where he just hasn't been as big of a factor. So. Passing grade for sure could be better. Yeah, I'm going to get the points of contention here, and I get it. But, like, I just – I don't think that they were – we differ on that how much. And, I, honestly, I would say this. Curry was, the prob- was probably supposed to be better. It's a guy with Division One experience starting and scoring and leading an offense. But I just never got the sense that they thought he would be a splash right away because not a great shooter. Shooting percentages weren't great. And, I don't know, just, just his assist numbers and assist turnover stuff wasn't – gonna light the world on fire here i don't think so maybe i'm too high in saying that they've, they've been b plus players but like i just think the acquisitions have have kind of filled what they expected and they would be better as a team if you know bridges and cottrell were playing better those are the guys who were expected to be major contributors not these three transfers i think that's a realistic assertion Next question comes from 8389 grad do you think the plus seven football recruits will continue as policy into the future in some fashion, I think you're going to yeah. see some flexibility. It's hard. It's hard to imagine that. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm with you. Full. I think yeah, you broke it down once one time. Your your thoughts on a potential fix, right? Was it something, or was that you, or was that just an open conversation we were having about it's related to how many guys leave and you get a couple up to five or something like that? There's got to be some sort of a formula. I don't know if we talked about it offline or online. Probably it was on a podcast. Um, but I, I, it just doesn't make sense because. I mean, if you're if you're if you're graduating players who transfer to another school to finish their career, you can't be penalized for that. Right. I just don't know how you can do that. Now, if you're losing if you're losing high school recruits, I don't know that you should necessarily get a scholarship back because of that. But like if you graduate players, that's fine. But if you if you got a guy who transfers in and transfers out, I don't know that you can get that back. I think there's a way to qualify it to make sure the schools get some relief, because this portal is not they did not plan for the portal to be what it is, which is amazing. But, like, you can't have an old system that has a hard cap and then completely blow the cap off with a mechanism that allows players to move freely without any penalty, which means that these guys can come in and play right away, which is the expectation. If you don't have a spot for them, what do you do? Then you displace the players, which kind of defeats the purpose. So they're going to have to find a way. Like, it's not just to help the schools. It's to help the players because if there's no way for them to get in because there's not a scholarship available – then you encourage kids to go into the portal without giving them a way out of it. That's the thing I think people need to understand. It's one thing to help the schools. You really have to help the players, too. You gave them an out. you got to give them an in. Yeah, we've gone over some of the numbers, or we haven't, but others have, in, in about you know, X number of players entering the portal and a very, very small fraction of them finding a new home. So it is something that needs to be fixed. Again, I don't know if seven is going to be the number, but there will be some kind of uh, way to figure that out. Um, D. Sprad asks, 
Do you see WU getting the guys from Portal that we need to get fill the voids? So far, so good. I mean, they lost their star running back, picked up a star running back. Uh, Going to lose a couple defensive linemen. Added Zyke Lawton, who can come in and help fill in, uh, you know, depth. I think they already got maybe, you know, pencil in some starters already coming back. But uh, Lawton can come right in. And, and again, we've already talked about Joseph Charleston. We've talked about Josh Newton at cornerback. Those would be two huge, huge additions. And I'm not sure where else, you know, where the big losses are that you're really going to be targeting recruits. Maybe linebacker. I think that's one we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, WV Blessed asked, in five years, who is the Big 12's face of the conference in football and basketball? I love this question. Are you, why? Because you're going to say Cincinnati? Oh, what if I said Oklahoma? <laughs> Ooh. Like, all of a sudden, they're like, this is a bad idea. Oh, yeah. Can we get out of this? Um, I, is listen, Lincoln this... Riley coach again? That... <laughs> Running all the way back. Sorry, BB. You got to get out of here. I don't. This is this is what's great about this is that like it's not realignment for West Virginia in the sense that it, it just went from the Big East to the Big Twelve, but like it's it's just easier to win it I think in football at least without Oklahoma for sure in Texas and then like you're adding I, I want to say winnable games I just think that those are winnable games every year now like a couple more chances to get to you know a higher win total or whatever but like the problem is now that like you're only removing two of the impediments in Texas and Oklahoma and West Virginia's had good success against Texas. So maybe you're taking a win off the schedule. I don't know, but I, I just think that the schedule is going to be a little bit thinner, you know, not having that, that round Robin, you can avoid some really good teams some year. You might have an annual cupcake on the schedule. Still, you can theorize different divisions and see a situation that it's, if you're going to split it up, like some of the, right now and maybe for the next couple of years some of the more favorable matchups are in west virginia's division i'm talking like kansas and and you know maybe like kansas state and iowa state like who knows where the schools go in the next couple of years but they're not like annual powerhouses by any means i don't think that's going to happen just because texas and oklahoma left so it's going to be up for grabs um it's it's to be written i really think it is but i think you'd have a hard time looking at looking at a roster with those schools and not saying that like Oklahoma State would be a team that would benefit from this. Now, do they lose some shine because Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the school in the league anymore? You lose like the Bedlam matchup. I don't think that's going to happen if they're in different division or conferences now. Maybe, but like if that coach stays, they're going to have a lot of incentive to win the Big Twelve, and they'll pour a lot of money into that. But I could also think that like a school like UCF might finally have you know, the proper mix of coaching and administration and financial support to lift that thing off the ground. I would not be surprised if in five years you see like an old one and a new one, Oklahoma State and UCF emerge and become a thing. But also like, don't be surprised if a school like West Virginia starts winning in football there because it's just going to be a little bit easier because it's a, a, it's a, it's a more broad playing field. I'm not saying it's more level. You're adding more teams and you're inviting a, a regional opponent in like Cincinnati and giving them a lot of luxuries. You're invo- you're inviting in Central Florida, which doesn't need recruiting hotbed, but now you're giving it a power five seat and a lot of money. Maybe it happens, but like, why couldn't a school like West Virginia take advantage of this if it commits itself to the change? I'm with you. I think that UCF is the kind of sleeper pick here. I would warn anybody thinking about, you know, Cincinnati and stuff that did. Just keep in mind here about West Virginia's transition to the Big 12. It is a, a a big difference between the two conferences that they're playing in. I think there might be a transition period for for Cincinnati 
for UCF. For UCF. I think it's, it's going to take some time, but UCF has that recruiting base, particularly in football, where they could really kind of take another step up. And they've obviously already been pretty darn good. Um, how that translates to basketball, I don't know. But I, I'm with you on the West Virginia thing, too. I, I think you, you could also take the angle of, hey, Oklahoma and Texas, even though Texas has been a team that West Virginia is beating fairly regularly in both sports, you, you just them there and you're talking to recruits and you're trying to build a program. It's almost like, Hey, where can West Virginia get? And people also say, Hey, how, how good can West Virginia be in this conference? How good can they recruit? And the answer is usually third, you know, it's going to be third. It's going to be after Oklahoma and, and Texas. It's going to be after those two blue butt programs with them gone. There is a legitimate argument that it, any of these teams could, could make that step up to be the best team in the conference in either of these sports. I would watch UCF basketball too. Johnny Dawkins is in a weird spot there. Um, was was pretty good his first couple of years when he came from Stanford. I want to say like maybe maybe first three years he won twenty games every year. If not, it was darn close and made the semis of the NIT one year and then maybe went Sweet Six. No, I don't think he had a Sweet Sixteen. But since then, been right around a five hundred sub five hundred program. The next two years, they're looking right now. They're six and two this year. Um, he has to win because that is a job that people will be fighting for. This is like a central Florida school with a huge enrollment. You're in central Florida um, and you're going to be a big 12 school. Like that's going to be a job that if he, if he keeps it, it's great for him. If not, there's going to be competition for it. 2146 year asked, why is this class better than the first one for Neil Brown? Uh, you had key players in that class, Ty Key, fortune Miller, Kerry Martin, Jenny, as things, Allie Jennings, uh, Winston Wright, Tony Mathis, Bartlett, Thornton, Alston, Jefferson. I understand there are a bunch of transfers, but that was a heck of a class, right? Well, I mean, he didn't recruit any of them, right? No offense to him, but like they were all in place, right? I was going to say, I think uh, off the top of my head right here, I'm looking at it and it's, you know, in that class, I believe he, they came in so late, obviously that it was essentially Jefferson. Jordan Jefferson was a, a Neil Brown exclusive, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Averius Sparrow was, right? He came in that class late, uh, and that was it. I mean, they had that safety. Yeah, they had a, a, this, that was the safety I was about to talk about that committed but then never signed and kind of did whatever. Uh, I'm not even sure, but yeah. So um, how's it better? I mean, right now the, the potential's higher for some of these guys. I, I think you got to give the, the, the guys in this class a few years to see how they compare. But um, yeah, that was a decent class back in 2019. It was good, yeah, for sure. And and I don't mean that to Rice Woman. He had to keep that class intact. They did a good job, but um, who knows with this one? We'll see. It's it's really hard to comp. Yeah. Uh, JAL1234, with the exception of the game McNeil missed, Hugs has sent the same starting five out. Assuming everyone stays healthy, odds that someone other than the current five becomes a starter by the Big 12 tournament. And who would replace whom? First off, Mike, did they use the whom correctly there? I, think I can so. never remember who would replace whom. I think so. Awesome. Joe's a Joe's a, an old journalist. I think he understands the the language. That's good. Yeah. No offense, old Joe. I mean, you've been doing it for quite some time. So, um, I would look at Cottrell because Polycap's been good, Osaboyan's been good, and I don't know that you need them both coming off the bench. They're going to give you similar things. It feels like it's kind of like herky jerky sometimes. Like you, you bring in. That's why I think the polycap doesn't come in earlier. I think it like it's so similar to Osaboyan that 
Kerrigan's a little bit different, and that's because frequently Polycap's the third big in the game off the bench, right? Yeah. So I would think if you're going to make a change, then it would be Cottrell the bench because Cottrell does give you something different off the bench if he starts shooting and scoring. That's kind of a, a way to really screw with the defense. So I wouldn't be surprised if the answer to this question would be Osaboyan because you get your best guys out there. And if, and he's behaved himself with fouls a little bit better. He does get himself in some sticky situations. He's not playing a lot. Um, but could he be better with fouling? Maybe, maybe not. Actually, I'm looking at his minutes. I take that back. He's not been good about fouling, has he? <laughs> if he can clean that up, then he becomes a starter. That's probably the reason he's not starting. But I don't see the purpose in having two guys who are so similar on the bench, and maybe three because Polycap and Kerrigan aren't so disparate that, that you can really separate them. But Cottrell would be someone different. So to answer the question, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Osaboyan or Polycap started and Cottrell was like the, the wrinkle off the bench. Uh, my counter is, will they change anybody? That's the good one. Yeah, because I mean, I think we've seen this from Huggins a, a thousand times before. He did it with McCabe. He did it with a couple other players over the years of guys that are quote unquote starters. It's more just kind of ceremonial than anything. They get in, they play a couple minutes, then they come out, they start the second half, play a couple minutes, come out, and that's it. Yeah. So I, I think that could continue. Um, I'm not sure what the tipping point is when he changes that. Uh, I, I can't remember uh, getting old here, Mike. I can't remember. Did, did it ever stop? Did they stop starting McCabe last year? I should probably know this, but I feel like he continued to be the starter last year. Um, or was it two years ago? Even down the stretch, even as he's only playing like four minutes a game. So I, I think it may just stick out and run it, run its course with this quote unquote starting five. And that's why, was it three years ago where I said it's more important who the closing five are? Because Huggins is starting five doesn't mean quite as much as you might think. Uh, McCabe started five times last year, by the way. Oh, I guess it was two years then. All right. Uh, WVU G13. Um, any surprise in the portable players and in walk? And what's the solution at point guard? Uh, Play Taz a point guard. God, I mean, yeah. Do it. I'm going to wear him out, it. but. If you're gonna if you're gonna play him 40 minutes and and ride him the way you are, just might as well just go all out. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe he doesn't bring the ball up the court because I think I think you'll probably see this as soon as Saturday. I think that people are gonna really pressure him, and if he's got the ball in his hand, they're gonna make him work to get it and to get it back. And so if he's got the ball, and they're probably gonna jump and make and make him work. And that's like this is old, but like JD Collins played a ton for John Beeline, and so did Air Bear. But like they kind of they would split up who brought the ball across half court. Just because, like, they had to take a break. And, like, that sounds small, like 60 feet. But, like, that's important sometimes, especially when you're working so hard just for 10 seconds at a time to get it across half court. So um, I, I just wonder, like, if he could take it at half court because he's so good with the ball in his hand. Like, he's so good at just getting space or getting inside. And his little dump-off passes to Kerrigan and, and I think it was just Kerrigan, actually. That just made me think, like, there's something here. Like, he could play point even if he's not starting with it. Like, he could play on the floor with – curry or or johnson and he does but like if you're gonna do that why not replace curry who's not a great shooter or scorer with someone who might be the trouble is who is it right now it's not bridges right and right. it's not being Cottrell. they don't really have another score out there so there's no need to do it but i think if like bridges and or Cottrell start really scoring you could see a lineup that has like mcneil sherman bridges Cottrell. And, you know, Polycap, Osaboy, and something like that, just because, one, it would help the rebounding, presumably. Um, they're, they're not a plus rebounding team when it's Bridges and Cottrell in the front court. But you also kind of solve your point guard problem. The trouble is that, like, who's going to help Taz in that situation for that 60 feet, that 10 seconds at a time? I don't know. 
Uh, and, and it was two years ago that McCabe started 29 out of the 31 games, but was playing like 10 minutes. So um, that was, I was, I was off just an entire season. Just mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Um, SJJSWVU for this one might be more for you. This is right up your alley. Extremely random with this timing, but what is the theory behind the rule of not letting a team spike the ball with under three seconds left? Um, and follow up. What one obscure rule would you change? Oh, I have a couple. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I knew I this would liked, be your thing. I never liked that rule, except that like I think that they just made it three seconds because it's clear. Like if you got three, you can get it. With two, sometimes like it's 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 close. I know it's only an instant, but like it's close. And then moreover, how do you run the next play? Like how how can that be enough time? Like if you snap it with two and there's less than one on the clock, I think it just creates a little bit of a buffer to make it more clear. I, I, the point here is that it takes away excitement at the end of a game. I get that. I wish they wouldn't do it. I don't know. Do we need tenths of a second in football like we have in basketball? Perhaps. Um, maybe that's why we have to have the chip in the football. Everybody talks about having a chip in the football. So when it crosses a yard marker or a goal line, that's cool. But you still have to have like a chip in an elbow pad or a shoulder pad or knee pad. Because frequently when the chip is uh, across it with the ball, well, the knee was down a yard or two yards before. So that's that can be a little bit trickier. But I don't know. If the chip hits the ground... And that registers with like tenths of a second or something like that. That might make more sense. But that's a weird rule. I get that. Uh, I do not like when an offensive player fumbles through the end zone and they call it a touchback. And they not only they call it a touchback, they give the defense the ball. That's dumb to me. That's not a turnover. So, like, if a guy's got a really good breakaway play and he dives for the pylon, but he loses the ball a little bit and the defender does or doesn't have anything to do with it, that ball goes out of bounds. The defense gets the ball? Like, I get, like, if a Dom Beebe, Leon Lett thing happens and he knocks it out or whatever, that's a really good play by the defense. In that situation, it's the offense. But you kind of get my point. Like, if somebody on defense is hustling and knocks the ball through, that's a really good play. But who's to say that if that ball doesn't roll through the end zone and it's just a live ball, the offense doesn't get it back? I hate that rule. I don't get that one. Um, That's an easy one, right? Yeah. So my follow-up here on this, because I hate that rule too, is does the ball – the offense keeps the ball. Do they get it at the you know one yard line, the three yard line, the twenty yard line? Where do they go back to the line of yeah. previous line of scrimmage? What's the what? What would your pick be? Hmm. I mean, maybe they get it like at the twenty. Maybe the offense right. gets it at the twenty. Maybe it's penalized like ten yards or fifteen yards. I don't know. But let's figure it out. Yeah. We have a rules committee. Let's say, hey, this is a problem. We're, we're crossing this one out. You got all these people in here that complain about the rules. You get to write it right now. Do it. That's one. Um, two more. Are you aware of the one-point safety? What? Yes. No. I did not know this until a bowl game a couple of years ago between Oregon and Kansas State. Pretty sure. Um, Oregon went for two, and Kansas State, I don't know, picked it off or something like that, and then ran out of the end zone to try to bring it back because at that point, when defense gets a turnover, they can bring it back for a two-point conversion. Um, they lateraled backwards into the end zone to get out of trouble. So the guy picked it off, was going to run it back, and said, oh, I'm not going to get it. He pitched it to a teammate who was now in the end zone, and he got tackled, which was a safety because the defense had then become the offense. The offense had gone from out of the end zone to back in the end zone. That becomes a safety, and on a two-point play, it's converted into one point. Why? Like, the offense is still out there. The offense made the play. The offense did its job and got the ball into the end zone. 
Now, granted, it involved a turnover and a boneheaded play by the defense, but like we're still in a live play. We haven't switched. We haven't put the defense in, on the bench and the offense in the field. It's still the offense against the defense. The offense made the play. They got the ball in the end zone in the two point zone. That should be a two point play. Like, and safety should be two points. Why are we giving a half a credit on a safety? What do you think about that one? Mike, there's obscure, and then there's whatever that was right there. I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh, God. You got more obscure than that? I'm pretty sure about this one, too. Um, there is no defensive pass interference on a pass play on a fake punt or a fake field goal. Now, special teams are weird. Like, if you're returning a punt and – I'm back there to catch it, and the ball hits a player who's on the punt team. So you're punting to me, Chris, and the ball hits one of your players. I can pick the ball up and run no matter where it is. And if I fumble, it doesn't matter. I still get possession. That's kind of quirky. People probably know that one. But as I understand it, if you line up in a kick formation and your punter throws the ball, and it's I think the, the specific phrasing is high and deep, which is very subjective, there's no pass interference. So, like, you have kind of carte blanche to do what you want there if you're the defensive player. That's a little bit like a tip ball. You can do whatever you want on defense because the ball's already been tipped. But this is if your kicker or punter goes to kick it and says, nope, fake, and throws it, and it's high and deep. I'm looking at it now, high and deep. There's no pass interference implied. You've gone way off the reservation on me. Uh, this is These are things I've never even heard of. I, I actually had to Google the one-point safety. I thought, you were, I thought you were pulling my leg. I thought this was a joke, but... I'm going to take your word for it from now on. Here it is. When there is contact by Team B player that otherwise will be pass interference during a down in which Team A's potential kicker from scrimmage kick formation simulates a scrimmage kick by throwing the ball high and deep, there shall be no defensive pass interference. That seems bad because at that point, you're just going to wreck the guy they're throwing yeah, it to, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um. Air Force 88 asks, UAB versus WVU hoops predictions. Sticking with your respective Big 12 predictions for WVU question, what about Conference 123 having seen the works in progress? I have no idea what I predicted, but I think I said that they were probably right about in the middle of the pack, which is what the Big 12 preseason poll said, right? I think there were six, right? Or fifth? Uh, fifth or sixth, yeah. So that's that sounds about right to me. Um, I think there's a chance that this is like a, a runaway for Baylor. Baylor might be better. But I think Texas has some some issues to iron out. And they may get it there, but it might it might cost them some games. Their 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 roster is so janky that it's going to take time there. I'm not sure about Kansas. Kansas' offense is good. Their defense is not. Even though they have some good defensive metrics, but they give up a ton of points. They haven't played a, a, that media of a schedule either. So I love I love Baylor what they're doing. They're going to be good. They know how to win. They and again they might be better, especially on defense. So one two three is probably that order. But I think there's going to be a separation between one and two. Certainly one two and three. Um, and I don't see why West Virginia couldn't be middle of the pack, but I would worry about how good Oklahoma, definitely Iowa State, and maybe Texas Tech are. Like Oklahoma's got some players, and they're they're well coached, and they've had some good wins, and they're feeling themselves out and figuring out what to do. Iowa State, man, what happened there? That's one that everybody missed on, I think. And Texas Tech kind of got healthy on some bad, some bad, bad opponents. I'm pretty sure that's the school that Huggins was targeting when he started rattling off teams picking on the the net margin of victory. But they've had some good wins since then, too. Uh, Tennessee in over – no, at Tennessee? Yeah, at Tennessee was a good one. Um, so, again, like, they're going to have to create some space and overcome some people. They want to be middle of the pack. And then I'm not picking who's winning the game. I never do that. But I think I think West Virginia's going to have its hands full because um, UAB plays tonight. So they're going to have a normal schedule. West Virginia doesn't. 
West Virginia is going to have that week off and you're going on the road for the first time with seven first year players. That's going to be hard. It's a big game. I think they know that. Can they get it up like they did against UConn? Maybe, but it's going to be harder on the road because the other team is going to have their full roster. Don't forget UConn was missing two really good players. And then just the the pace they play with on offense. But I think you're going to hear about this. Their defense is going to give West Virginia's backcourt trouble. And where can West Virginia really struggle? Backcourt. If they don't have any way to run offense and if their guards are getting pressured and, and have people in their face, it, it could be tough for them to score. Uh, yeah, I'm not picking the game either. You gave a good synopsis of what's coming up. As for the predictions uh, that I had preseason, obviously, I, I think, you know, mine, as one person put it, uh, capital P person, capital S source, that was the most homerific uh, preview I've done in my <laughs> 10 years of doing it. Uh, I wasn't aware that it was that homerific, uh, but it was apparently, I guess, um, you know, I picked them to be third or fourth in the conference to be just as good as they were last year, uh, NCAA tournament four seed kind of team. Um, I mean, there's still a possibility they're, they're nine and one and receiving votes, so it's still possible, but two, two things have me worried about that prediction. Uh, one, I think West Virginia has slightly more issues than I thought they, they would transitioning these new, uh, transfers in again, I, I mentioned earlier, I thought the transfers would have a bigger impact on this team would help carry the load. It wouldn't have to be, uh, you, you know, Taz Sherman and, and the Mountainettes or whatever you want to call it. But the other thing is. The Big 12 is better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought the Big 12 was going to be pretty freaking good. Um, so I, I, it's going to be tough to go through. It's going to be a gauntlet. You say that every single year. But, I mean, is this the toughest, the Big 12? I don't know if God, this is hyperbole or recency bias or whatever. But this could be one of the toughest Big 12 conferences in a long time in mm-hmm. basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, Ear Traveler asks, when do we know for sure who might opt out of the bowl game? Friday. You th- let me ask you this. I'm going to follow up on this because I saw it the other day and I was like, wow, I don't think I ever remember that. I, I don't want to say, I don't want to, I, I think I remember which school it was, but a head coach had done a bowl press conference and he quote unquote broke the news of which players were unlikely to be playing in the bowl game. Do you think Neil Brown does that? Or do you think we're going to get the, uh, you know, respect my decision graphics? You might get days. some. You might get some of that. Like he may allow players to do it, but he's going to have to answer that question on Friday. Now the thing is, he might say, "Well, we'll talk about that once we get to Phoenix." But they have practice open Friday, and if like your running back and your defensive tackle aren't there, someone's going to ask that question because they they have their press conference after practice, so people are going to see it and then follow up with questions too. So I don't know why you'd hide from it. And then listen, they may say we'll talk about it at media day in Phoenix. Which who's going there? I don't know. But that just gives you a couple more days to, to plan. But if you're if you're Minnesota, you're you're probably aware of the fact that Lady Brown's not playing. You're probably aware of the fact that, you know, I don't I don't know about Dante Stills. That might be unfair to him because his brother played, and I think his brother's a big influence on him. But I also think that Dante's in a much better NFL situation than Darius was too. So I, I I don't know, but that's a really good run offense. So maybe Dante Stills can help himself there. I don't pretend to know what he's thinking, but Lady Brown's kind of given indications, and I just I just think you're going to see some other players who aren't playing because. I mean, why? <laughs> why would you? Like, the Sean Ryan one's really interesting, too. That's a guy who could have another year left and walked on senior day. He was a junior on the roster all year. I think he's a he's a senior now. I'm not sure. But he's definitely got another year left. They talked about him a couple times during the year as a guy who, you know, next year we'll have him in the room. It'll be great. And he walked on senior day. Now, granted, he can come back. But if he was intent on walking ahead of schedule, is he going to play in the bowl game? Why would you do that? 
because you're probably thinking about transferring if you're walking on junior day. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's one to watch, too. But that's that's some clarity I think people get. But the fact that you have practice, people are going to see and then ask questions in the press conference that follows. I think you'll know on Friday. And I believe we've gotten to the last question here from Jay Mull, 1989. Uh, let me reload. Make sure nobody snuck one in. Oh, they did a couple. Uh, we'll see. Uh, all right. Jay Mull, 1989 asks, where do you feel this class compares to previous recruiting classes? Top five classes of all time. Again, it, the overall rankings are going to be strange, like as far as where you go in, in overall rankings, because some of it has to do with the quantity of players that you add in a class. And you're just not going to see any teams add 25, 27, 28, 30 commitments like they used to be able to. You know, it used to be able, there was a soft cap of how many kids. So people were taking 30 to 32 verbal commitments in a class, which would help, you know, bump up that overall rating. I do think the average rating is important to look at. I do think the transfer rankings are important to look at. And I think this class, between the two of those, the average high school, junior college ranking, and the transfers that they bring in will be among the best that West Virginia's had. Once again, couldn't send it any better myself. Okay. Uh, Summit WVU, question on basketball offense. What is lacking more, post play or point guard play? Is both to be pure underwhelming. What is most likely to improve this season? Uh, uh, lacking point guard play, post play will be mo- most likely to improve because if they get better point guard play, their post play will improve. But also, you can kind of just – you can you don't need point guards to get the ball to the five, so you can do that. But I just think that their their spacing would be better if their point guards could shoot. Um, their spacing would be more valuable as provided by McNeil and eh, Sherman if there was drives consistently. And you see little flare, flares and flashes from from Curry and Kedrian Johnson. But I think if you're talking about passing the ball, getting it to the right spot, a lot of that has to come from the point guard. And their offense stalls and gets mucked up so much because they have to constantly reset catch the ball, reposition, um, get the ball to from point A to B to get it to point C instead of just going from A to C. That if they just had better point guard play, they'd be a lot more efficient on offense. I'm with you. I think I saw, I believe it was Keedy. I want to give credit to who it was because it was a, the first post-entry lob pass to a big man who had sealed his man on his back that I've seen from a West Virginia point guard in years. I about fainted when I saw it. It, it was out of a timeout, too. Like, I was the Bill Murray kingpin gif at that point. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And, and again, when you can make a pass like that, where literally the big man, all he has to do is seal his man, essentially box him out, more or less, and you just lob it up and put it in his hand, all he's got to do is lay it in. And post-play looks really great when all you have to do is lay it in with a guy behind you. So, uh, like you said, uh, what, what did you say? Uh, can't put it in my better myself. Point, point point guard play improves, post play improves. It's just a lot easier to hand it off from one feet and to make it from one feet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and w- the last question that came in under, under the bell was from NC Wayward here, but we've kind of already touched on it. Do you think there are going to be staff changes, movement after signing day? The answer is yes. I haven't gone back and looked. Um, off the top of my head, I'm thinking here, Mike, you'll probably know a better answer than me. When was the last time West Virginia went an offseason without a, a, any coaching changes, any staff changes? I, oh, my God. I Never. don't think it happened with Dana, right? Yeah. Uh, no, so, it happened under Stewart. Stewart brought his whole staff back between his first and second year, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I had to look. That's a good question. It's so rare that it's – it. I don't think it happened during Dana's time. Right. I can I can go back and look for sure. Well, point, point being, 
if it's happened, it's happened once, maybe twice in 20 years. So it's unlikely that the entire coaching staff will be back, not because of anything in particular we've heard or because of performances. It's the nature of college football. Now more than ever. Yep. Uh, Mike, I think I think that's it. We we actually answered more questions today than in any podcast we ever have. Mm-hmm. Got a little breaking news. Didn't insult anybody. I don't think I'm going to hear from anybody about this one from the university. No, no so text after this one? Probably not. Um, hey, by the way, for those listening, if you prefer it this way, you don't want to see me type. I'm I'm fine. My my fingers. I don't like typing. So uh, if if you prefer us to answer more questions on the podcast like this, and, and instead of doing a like you know seven and and then thirty on written form, um, let us know. Let us know. Comment, post on the board, whatever. Let us know. Well, that would also mean don't ask a lot of questions too, <laughs> which that's <laughs> that, not good for business, Chris. That, that's also not good, right? Well, until then, Chris, we'll talk again soon. We have, um, I don't know, a lot of travel coming up with you and me, but with also a lot of listeners. I think we're going to try to plant some seeds for podcasts and other voices to get in here. Um, so I don't know how many more of these Q&As or get-togethers we'll do before the bowl game. But enjoy this one. Hope everybody else did as well. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.